I can't begin to list all the many things I've learned since coming to St. Peter's six years ago. And an awful lot of those things were never even mentioned in seminary. I've learned what a parapet wall is and that we happen to have one on the roof of our Christian Ed building. I've learned that whether or not a roof leaks is a complex algorithm having to do with the surface area of the roof, the volume of water that can be held by the interior gutters, the size and number of downspouts, the rate at which the rain falls, and the amount of leaves and other debris that take up space in the gutters. I've learned that when the values of all those variables come together just right, the roof leaks badly. And when the roof leaks so badly that a ceiling tile is absolutely bulging with all the water behind it, I've learned that draining the water behind that tile with a broomstick is not completely unlike using a scalpel to lance an infection. I've learned that having Tom McNutt, Dale Walker, Scotty Bell, and Mike King on speed dial is more likely to come in handy in an emergency than having the number of the diocesan office programmed into my phone. No matter how calm my voice may be when I explain to Tom McNutt that the water heater in the sacristy is spraying water from its top faster than we can catch it in containers, I've learned that Tom McNutt can sometimes be here in the church within three minutes of my hanging up the phone. And when the toilet in the men's restroom is flushing continuously and there's no visible valve with which to turn the water off, thanks to Scotty Bell, I've learned to cut the water off to that particular toilet armed only with a screwdriver. I've also learned that an incredibly real, gritty, and deep love can be found within the messiness of parish life, and that most often that love is manifest in the very midst of all the craziness, not apart from it. See, job descriptions definitely don't tell you all the things you need to know and do, but they don't usually tell you all the blessings you'll receive either. Well, in today's Gospel reading, Jesus is already worn out just by the things that are already in his job description. Ever since finding out that John the Baptist has been killed by Herod, Jesus has tried to get some time alone. First, he withdraws in a boat to a deserted place, but the crowds follow him and instead of spending some time in solitude, he ends up curing their illnesses and feeding more than 5,000 of them with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fishes. Then he tries again to have his own space, this time sending the disciples on ahead in the boat while he goes up the mountain to pray. But then he sees his friends being tossed around on the sea in a storm, and he goes to them. When the boat does land on shore, he's bombarded by people wanting to be healed, begging even just to touch the hem of his garment. And then in the midst of all this, the Pharisees and the scribes come to Jesus to register a complaint about Jesus' followers. Why don't they wash their hands before they eat? I suspect that by this point Jesus is tired and probably more than a little overwhelmed and frustrated by what's coming at him from all sides. And then enter the Canaanite woman, an outsider by Jewish standards. She's shouting at the top of her lungs, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. 
far from the kind, never tired, never rattled Jesus that most of us end up picturing in our minds. The Jesus in this story doesn't even answer her. And the disciples are even more dismissive of the woman. Send her away, they tell Jesus, for she keeps shouting and bothering us. Jesus responds, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus knows his job description and he's sticking to it. Jesus has been sent to the people of Israel. And as we've seen now, that's a big enough challenge in and of itself. He can't be expected to take care of everyone else. He just doesn't have the time or energy, right? But the Canaanite woman won't fade into the background that easily. She won't go quietly. Instead, she comes and kneels in front of him and says, Lord, help me. And here comes the response from Jesus that is so harsh and rude that we hardly know what to do with it. Jesus says, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Now, Christians have tried lots of ways to try to soften this statement. Perhaps Jesus is merely testing her faith. He doesn't really mean what he's saying. Or maybe this story reflects the view of Jewish Christians towards Gentile Christians in the early church. So it's not really about Jesus at all. It's about the early church. Or better yet, maybe Matthew is just setting up a dramatic scene after which the inclusion of non-Jewish people in the early church will be all the more striking. It's even been said that puppies here is actually a term of endearment, although that's a real stretch if you ask me. And as I said earlier, Dave does not call me that. <laughs> Whatever the scenario behind this statement, it is what it is, rude and difficult to understand. Usually it's Jesus we see humiliated in the Gospels, quietly and humbly taking whatever is dished out at him. But in this story, it's the Canaanite woman who plays that role, humbly holding her own in the conversation, maybe even besting Jesus at his own game. She just keeps knocking on the door, refusing to be turned away. Yes, Lord, she says, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's tables. At that moment, the woman's daughter is healed, and the door that she's been knocking on bursts wide open. What's been up to this point, a contained, narrow mission, now explodes into a mission to all people. Perhaps just when Jesus is most tired and overwhelmed by the task that belongs to the Jewish Messiah, the task of feeding the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Maybe it's exactly then that he's also confronted with all the need that lies beyond his own people. Maybe that's what it's always meant to be God's people, to live with the porch light on and the door open. We hear in today's passage from Isaiah, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. And the psalmist writes, Let your ways be known upon earth, where saving help upon all the, among all the nations. Despite all the purity laws we find in the Torah, maybe in the final assessment, God's people never were meant to be exclusive, or to draw uncrossable boundaries, or to try to limit salvation to those that they deem suitable. But then we also have to face it. Being open to whoever God places in our path can seem like awfully hard work.
it can seem like too much, as we see in today's gospel reading. I'm reminded of a sermon I heard in 2012 at General Convention, the national gathering of the Episcopal Church. It was given by Jean Robinson, the first openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church. That night, he reminded us in the congregation that God had asked Abraham to live in a tent and to not know exactly where he was going. Bishop Robinson said, Abraham and the people with him dreamt of the city with foundations. They dreamt of a real honest-to-God city, you know, with foundations and that stayed in the same place all the time. But God asked them to live in tents. Robinson went on to say that he knew firsthand what it must have felt like for Abraham. He said, I want some answers to things. I want things to stay where I put them and to stay where I think them. And I don't like to be asked to move on and then to move on again and to move on again. And yet it seems to be the biblical witness that God means for us to live in tents and to move from place to place and to never finally settle down until we're all in heaven. We are meant to live, in this world at least, in tents. Basically, I think Bishop Robinson was reminding us that every time we Christians think we have our job description figured out, then we better be careful, because we're probably getting ready to experience the famous clause and other duties not otherwise specified. For example, in the last few years, the Episcopal Church has made huge strides in being open to the LGBT community. But ultimately, Bishop Robinson said, we'll have to move on even from here, because even LGBT work can't be a tent that we live in forever. As soon as we get a real leg up on this thing, God is going to point out somebody else that we haven't been paying attention to. God is always calling us forward. That's what it means to be God's people. Every time we think we have our ministry mapped out, God widens our heart, breaks open the doors that have been closed, and blurs all the boundaries. The Holy Spirit puts someone just like the Canaanite woman right in front of us and says, Here, this one is also my child. Care for them too. It may be refugees on the border of Texas and Mexico in need of clothes, water, food, and shelter. It may be a young mother in need of diapers for her baby or just in need of some help getting some bags of groceries into the car. It may be those who struggle from addiction or depression or those who live in poverty right here in Conway. There's no shortage of people for whom we may be called upon to move our tents, to broaden our mission, or to make room for in our community. If only we have eyes to see and hearts that are open. We need to trust that as our mission broadens in ways and in places that we would never expect, so will our joy and blessings. Because it will take all of us together to make heaven on earth. Amen.